Well, good morning, everybody. We are continuing today in our Advent sermon series, The Best Christmas Stories That You've Never Heard. And we're doing that because oftentimes, as New Testament Christians, we think about Christmas and the story of Christmas, Jesus being born into the world. It's easy for us to think about that as the beginning of the story, but it's actually not the beginning of the story. It's kind of the, the beginning of the high point of the story. But if you look at the Bible, three quarters of the Bible happened before Jesus' birth. And so these Christmas stories we're looking at are actually the stories that come before, the stories that lay the whole framework that set the stage for why Jesus being born is such good news. There's a prophecy in the book of Isaiah that Pastor Tom talked about last week, and it says that a, a, a branch will come from the stump of Jesse. And if you're not familiar with the Old Testament, that just sounds like cryptic, prophetic, weird stuff. Maybe someone can explain it to us. Well, you're, you're in luck. Tom explained it to us last week, right? But just in case you weren't here or in case you forgot... That's a reference to King David, whose father was named Jesse. And at a time when the Israelites were just without any hope at all, because they had been exiled and they uh, did not have their kingdom and they did not have a good king, God said, there will come a time when someone will rise out of that kingly lineage and lead the people into all goodness once again. So it's a promise of hope. And we talked uh, last week about hope that comes with the promise of Advent, with the coming of Christ, and the same kind of hope that uh, we see in that promise uh, of Isaiah. Today we're going to look at a different story. We're going to look at the story of Josiah. Now, King David was about a thousand years before Jesus' birth, and Josiah is a little bit closer. Uh, It's 400 years after King David, still 600 years before Jesus, about halfway, right? But we're getting a little closer, and we're going to look at Josiah's story today, um, how Josiah, as one of the kings of Israel, is going to show us something important for Advent. So before we get into that, would you pray with me? Let us prepare our hearts uh, for hearing God's word today. God, come and speak to us through your word. Come and show us the story that we are invited to be a part of. And show us today how we can respond to your word during this Advent season. I pray that you would uh, speak through my words and that you would give us each something uh, that we can uh, take out into the world with us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we, you heard the beginning of this already, but just in case. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign. And he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jedidah and the daughter of Adiah of Bozkath. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in all the ways of David his father. And he did not turn aside to the right or to the left. So Josiah comes onto the scene as a very young king, eight years old. And he's, he's introduced in a different way than most of the kings in the Old Testament. Most of the kings in the book of Kings, um, they get introduced with a similar kind of first part about how old they were and how long they reigned. It's kind of a, a little like the historical part. And then it usually says, and they did what was evil in the sight of the Lord 
And then it lists out all the ways that they did evil things. And it usually is that they, they made covenants with other nations, being God's people, having a covenant relationship with Yahweh. They were called to have a relationship with him alone and not to go uh, find other nations to have covenants with. And then oftentimes that involved adopting the gods of those other nations and either bringing them into the temple or going up to the other places of worship and sacrifice, the high places, one of those places it was called. And they would uh, basically lose their faithfulness over adopting local cultural customs. And when the kings did that, all the people followed. And it really, just if you read the Old Testament, there's a lot of downward spiraling of God's people. But Josiah is different. Josiah did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. He's even compared to David, the gold standard for a godly king. uh, Pastor Stella preached about David about a month ago. Um, And remember, David was willing to put himself under God's authority. And so what makes Josiah so so faithful? What makes him so good? When we have the rest of this story, and I'm going to just tell you part of it in my own words because it's a couple chapters. Um, you can go home and read it if you're uh, very eager to read it. I recommend it actually. I think it's, it's, it's not hard to read. It just takes a little bit of time. The key part of Josiah's story though, it, it really picks up when he's about 26 years old, 18 years into his monarchy. And he begins, not really begins, he reinvigorates a temple restoration project. Now, this is something that was started by one of the few other good kings a few generations before him, but it seems like it had been put on hold, and to the best that we can understand, it seems like the temple, which was supposed to be, it was their sacred place of worship, the place where in the Holy of Holies, God dwelled with them, that they had kind of let it just start falling apart and go to shambles. It was not taken care of. There were uh, things in there that shouldn't have been in there. idols to other gods was one of those things but it also it just you know kind of like when you when you live in a house for a really long time and after a while you start to see the cracks coming up the wall the windows right might start to rattle a little bit the floors might buckle and crack and after a while it needs some some home improvement right the temple was in need of a little bit of some renovation so Josiah reinvigorates this temple restoration project. And as they're going through and cleaning out the temple, they find a scroll. They open it up, and it is the book of the law. Now, the book of the law, the best we can understand it, is the book of Deuteronomy, the fifth book in the Bible. And it just raises all sorts of questions, you guys. First of all, how did they lose the book of Deuteronomy? I mean, right? Like These are God's people who are supposed to be following God's ways. They lost the book of Deuteronomy. Now, we don't, we don't know how long it had been lost, uh, but it seems like it had been lost for a long, long, long time. Uh, partly because what we know about the Israelites in that time is because of the kings before them, they're not following the book of the law. They have idols in their temple. They are going to worship at the high places to worship not just Yahweh, but the other gods. And the downward spiral ensues because of that. And so it's it's so fascinating. They find the book of Deuteronomy, um, and it gets read in front of Josiah. He actually decides uh, he wants to hear it. 
Now, before uh, I, this is a, a picture from the ancient photography of that time. It's definitely not what Josiah looked like because he was only 26 when this happened. Uh, but this was the best uh, image I could find um, for you to look at while I tell the rest of the story. Now, I, I want to cover a little bit of what would he have uh, heard in Deuteronomy. And, and so first, it's helpful to understand what Deuteronomy is. Um, you've probably all heard of the law, the Ten Commandments. And here's how, kind of the brief summary of how the Israelites got the law. They were in Egypt and they were slaves. Moses came, let my people go, right? They got out of Egypt, rescued through the Dead Sea, the parting of waters. They, 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 they go into the Sinai Peninsula area. And on Mount Sinai, God gives the people the law. Now, we normally think about this as the Ten Commandments, and that is a part of the law, but it really law, covenant is the better word to use. God makes a covenant with his people to enter into a covenant relationship. And this covenant starts out saying, I am the Lord your God, and I have saved you. I want to be your only God, and I want you to be my only people. And basically, the rest of the covenant says, if you're going to be my special people, here's what I need you to do, and here's what I will promise to do for you. And there's a lot of affection in this. There's a lot of um, God claiming them. There's, a, there's actually a lot of grace in the Old Testament. If we look at that covenant, God saves them before he invites them to perform anything. It's a lot of grace. Now, they get that, but then they make some bad choices, and they have to wander for 40 years in the wilderness uh, to kind of get that out of their system, right? They get to uh, a point 40 years later where they are almost ready to go into the promised land, and Moses, uh, by God's direction, gathers the people together on the plains of Moab. And he says, before we go into the promised land, we're going to read again this covenant. We're going to read again the law, and we're going to remember what it says. And we're going to recommit ourselves to it so that when we go into the promised land, we can be a people that actually follow it. That's the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is the re-giving of the law, of the covenant. And there's a part of it that's narrative of Moses leading the people, but most of it is here is God's promise to you, and here is what your part of the promise is, and here's what happens if you obey, and here's, here's what happens if you don't obey. So Josiah has that whole thing read to him. It, every indicator should lead us to believe he has never heard this before, at least not word for word. Here's some of the stuff that Josiah would have heard. These are pieces of Deuteronomy, right? I didn't want to read all 34 chapters to you. I, a little part of me kind of wanted to. We could do our own reading of the law. But here's just, just the high points. I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Imagine you're Josiah and you're leading a people that have brought a bunch of idols into the temple. And you hear that. Just a chapter later, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Because Jesus quotes it when he's asked, what's the most important commandment? This is the people are called to respond to God's uh, faithfulness and saving work by loving him with a covenant faithfulness kind of love. Imagine Josiah hearing that. 
And then he hears this, if, if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God or be careful to do all his commandments and his statutes that I command you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. Uh-oh. Remember, he's leading the people that are not following God's ways. Then there's this part that's kind of cool. Uh, God says, I've set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today, by loving the Lord your God, that's a theme here, right? By walking in his ways and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you're entering to take possession of it. What's amazing throughout the book of Deuteronomy, and it's kind of captured there in a, in a small way, God continues to say, I'm giving you these, this instruction because I want you to live. I want you to be blessed. It's for your good. I think we often think about the law, the Old Testament, as kind of a cold, heartless legalism, right? And Jesus comes to rescue us from that. Well, Jesus comes to fulfill that and to rescue us from what we cannot do on our own, but the instruction of the Lord that we're given it's given for the people's good. It's not given to be a burden. It's given because God wants them to live a long time and be blessed. Uh, the best simple way to explain this is if you read the Ten Commandments, you know, there's the commandment that all the parents love and the kids don't. It's the fifth commandment, honor your mother and father. And all the kids are like rolling their eyes at me right now. And parents, be good to your kids. Don't elbow them right now. You know what it says, though? It actually, it doesn't just say honor your mother and father. It says honor your mother and father so that you will live a long time. Did you know it says that? <laughs> and, and like how often as parents do we want to tell our kids, like, I'm not telling you this because I don't like you. I'm telling you this because I love you, because I want you to, to not do something that's going to cut your life short. I, I want you to live a long time. And as, as Josiah is hearing the law read, I wonder if it occurred to him that, oh my gosh, God has given this to us for our good, and we didn't, we didn't take it. And then there's this part in Deuteronomy. It's a prophetic part where it says, one day, people of Israel, you're going to have a king. They don't have a king in the plains of Moab before they go into the promised land. It's, it's a few hundred years before they have a king. But in Deuteronomy 17, God says, when you have a king, I want to make sure the king follows these things and here's one of the things it says when the king sits on the throne of his kingdom he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law approved by the levitical priests and it shall be with him and he shall read it all the days of his life that he may learn to fear the lord his god by keeping all the words of this law and these statutes and doing them and can you imagine being the king of judah and reading that and realizing, oh my gosh, that's for me. Like, that's in there. No one else in the kingdom has to pay attention to that one. That's for me. And it obviously has not been done, because there's not a bunch of copies of this laying around everywhere where people are reading and re-scribing re re them. And so Josiah hears all of this. And it just makes me wonder um, what must have been going on in his mind. What, what we do know is that he receives this as a gift. He receives God's word as a gift that's just for him.
I wonder if you've ever had something that's been given to you as a gift. You know, my granny is kind of the spiritual matriarch in our family. Um, she left me a number of her books. One of those books is Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster, one of the classics on spiritual practices for the Christian faith. I have her copy from the 1970s that has all her underlines that before I was born, she was reading that book and God was doing stuff in her life through that book. And so I can read that book and I see all the places where God spoke to her. And it's, it's sacred, it's special. And, and the fact that she gave that to me before she died, and I was able to read that and talk to her about it before she died, it's, it's special to me, right? It makes a difference. I was uh, going through my house this week. We are doing some floor renovation stuff, so all of our closets are like not, all the stuff that belongs in the closets, they're not really in the closet right now. Uh, so a bunch of books that my grandmother gave me have been misplaced and taken out, and I found, um, I found sitting on a coffee table because it landed somewhere where it wasn't supposed to, and uh, you know, because we're cleaning out, I found this little book. This little book, it's Thomas Merton's Thoughts in Solitude. It's a contemplative Christian book. And I've seen it there for a few weeks now, I'll be honest, and I haven't picked it up. I don't know how it got there or who put it there. Earlier this week, I, I kind of looked at it and was like, I wonder what... Ah, let me just open it. And on the inside cover, I kid you not, it says, To Thomas, 2005. And there's a note in there and a prayer for me. Wow, that's pretty cool. And I, I can look through it, and again, there, there are sections, whole sections where it's underlined, and I can see where my granny has found something in here that is valuable enough she wanted to remember it. Then there's a bookmark that says to buy this book for Thomas. I think she abandoned plan A and just gave me this book. And... I was telling Tracy about this, and she opened up the back, and she said, you know there's like an old newspaper clipping, and it says something about how this is a great time of book for this busy time of year to prepare us for Christ. I was like, whoa! And so I'm reading, reading about Josiah finding the book of the law, and I stumbled up upon this while cleaning out my house in a home renovation project similar to Josiah's temple renovation Mine's probably not nearly as holy as his. But I just can't help but wonder, is that even just a little bit of what Josiah felt when he found God's word for him? When he found it, and he, did he think, oh my gosh, it's been here all this time. Guys, I've had this 15 years. Did not know it said that. Did not know it had a note to me. I'm serious. I can't, I'm not making this up. How many hundreds of years did, did that book of the law sit in the temple and no one knew? There was good stuff in there for God's people and no one knew. But they found it and then Josiah heard it read to him. Again, our uh, great picture of um, Josiah. They're reading the book of the law and he had a choice to make. Because this was big stuff. This was going to change things. Or he could have just tucked it away, right? I mean, who knows? How many, how many people stumbled across this in the temple over the years and pulled it out and said, ooh, I don't know. If we really, do we really want to do that? Let's, let's put that back in the box. Now, we, don't, we don't know. But 
Josiah received it as a gift. And here is his response, if I can find it on my screen. Here's his response. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. In the great historical photograph of him tearing his clothes. He's grieving. He's feeling the weight of his sin and the community's sin because they have not been following this. He finds this and he, he realizes they need this. These are the words that lead to life. And they've missed out. And so Josiah chooses to respond to God's word. He dusts it off and he, he allows it to penetrate into his heart. And then he shares it with all the people. And you know how I was telling you Deuteronomy is a covenant renewal of the people right before they went into the promised land. And so what does Josiah do? He gets all the people together and he does a covenant renewal with the, with the whole kingdom at that point. Here's what it says. Then the king sent, and all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem were gathered to him, and the king went up to the house of the Lord, and with him all the men of Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem and the priests and the prophets, all the people, both small and great. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant that had been found in the house of the Lord. So he he read it before all the people. And the king stood by the pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with with all his heart and all his soul. Do you hear the words of Deuteronomy there? To perform the words of this covenant that were written in the book and all the people joined in the covenant. So he takes this opportunity. They find God's word and they realize they have so far to go And they do a public repentance, basically. All the people together. This is not something that should happen every few hundred years. This is probably something all of us need daily, right? Like, God, I have strayed at least a little bit today and some days a lot. I want to recommit myself. I want to allow myself to be grieved by my sin, by the sin of the community I'm a part of, but recommit myself and probably to remind myself what it is that I'm committing to by reading some of Scripture, right? That'd probably be good for us. But he doesn't stop here. After this, there's a whole chapter, this is one of those parts I'm going to skip, where it goes in great detail to talk about all the idols that they removed from the temple. And then they go up to the high places where they're worshiping the other gods, and they, they destroy those altars. And they basically have a national cleansing to not just commit themselves but to live out that commitment to have Yahweh as their God alone. And then we read this. And the king commanded all the people, keep the Passover to the Lord your God as it is written in the book of the covenant. And this is, this is wild to me. I actually didn't realize this before I was studying this scripture this week. For no such Passover had been kept since the days of the judges who judged Israel or during all the days of the kings of Israel or of the kings of Judah. But in the 18th year of King Josiah, this Passover was kept to the Lord in Jerusalem. It seems that the people of God made a covenant before they went into the promised land, and a part of that was they were going to celebrate the Passover to remember why they are God's special people. And they never celebrated it, <laughs> right? They said, we're going to do this thing, and everyone said, yeah! And then they're like, oh, look at this is nice land. I like this. And they never celebrated the Passover, as best we can tell. 
And so Josiah led his people to actually live out that covenant, to celebrate the Passover, to remind themselves who they belong to and who their God is. Now, you might be wondering, you know, this great story of Josiah, it's an interesting story, but Thomas, what does it have to do with Advent? I thought we were talking about Jesus here and, like, the birth of our Savior, and that's not in here at all. There's two things, two quick things I want to point, point you to. One is that Josiah is a model for how we prepare ourselves for Christ. He's a model for preparing ourselves for God. And here's kind of the quick formula, because I'm a formula person, and it just I'm doing this for myself. If it helps you, that's bonus. Josiah reads God's word. He actually hears it. And then he receives it as a gift. He doesn't ignore it. He doesn't let it go in one ear and out the other. He doesn't read it and set it down on the coffee table and let it collect dust for another few hundred years. He realizes it's a gift and he treasures it. And that leads him to respond. He puts it into practice in his life. Guys, that's what the season of Advent is actually all about. I don't know if you realize it. Advent's a season of preparation. And we're going to get a lot of opportunities to hear the story of our Savior being born. I don't know about you, but there's a lot going on this time of year, right? Can I get an amen? A lot going on this time of year. And it would be easy for us to hear the story and see the signs, all the chrismons on the tree, all the things that are supposed to remind us about this great thing that we're celebrating and just not respond to it, to not receive it as a gift. So I wonder if a part of what this story tells us is Um, how we can prepare ourselves during this season to receive the story, to receive it as a gift, and to wonder, are there new ways God might want me to respond to this story? Maybe for some of you, this could be a season of kind of opening yourself up to God's word in a fresh way. Anyone doing the Advent calendar or doing the 40-day discernment uh, prayer journey, right? There's some scripture in that. And instead of reading it and uh, just getting your next cup of coffee and forgetting it, Maybe taking a moment, and I'm the worst at this, to pause and say, okay, what does God want to say to me in this? And then to incorporate that into our lives, to let God amaze us with his words that lead to life. But I wonder how, how does Josiah's story help us prepare ourselves for Christ? But the other part is this. Josiah had a great legacy Before him, there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his might. Do you hear the Deuteronomy in there? According to all the law of Moses, nor did any like him arise after him. That's the legacy of Josiah. He's basically the high point of the kings of Judah. Um, And as long as he was king, things were really good for the people. Josiah leads his people to reconnect with God. He makes things right as they're supposed to be. They're celebrating the Passover again. But Josiah doesn't last forever. Josiah eventually dies, and his sons are not nearly the kind of good-hearted, David-like kings that he is. And his sons uh, and grandchildren lead, lead the people back into the other ways. And eventually the people are taken into exile. Jesus, you guys, is the fulfillment of what Josiah started. Jesus comes to finish the work that Josiah began. Uh, The words that are spoken to Joseph as he's unsure about what is going on with his wife Mary. She's pregnant 
And the angel says these words, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. Very similar to Josiah, actually, comes from the same root. For he will save his people from their sins. Josiah led the people of God away from their sins to reconnect with God. And that is what Jesus comes for. And so when you're feeling the brokenness of the world around you, when you're, maybe that's all over the world, maybe that's something particular in your life that you're seeing, we look with a new longing for Jesus to come and to make things right, to remember that we need a Savior who will make things right for good. In a moment, we are going to celebrate Holy Communion. Communion is a, an opportunity to renew our covenant with God. And so as we have just heard God's word, I'm going to give you a chance right now to receive it as a gift and to renew your part of this covenant, to say once again, yes, God, you are my only God. Yes, Jesus, you are my only Savior. I want to hold so tight to the saving work you have done for me, and I want to live in your ways for the rest of my life. And if you want to do that today, you're going to get a chance to do that as we celebrate communion together.